too. We were all guilty, to varying degrees, the calibrations of which I would scrutinize, often and obsessively, for months to come. And let me tell you, that is one joyless board game. The winner gets a toppling stack of misery and resentment and a free pass to therapy. Let's go, Mark said, recovering a bit. He put his arm around me, and we limped into Dalton's funeral home together, up the wide wooden steps, and into the foyer that was meant to look like a snug, old-fashioned sitting room, with its overstuffed love seats and faded floral wallpaper, as if death had been a more palatable affair seventy years ago, cozy as Mayberry. Henry Dalton greeted us. He was tall and reedy, with a nimbus of wispy white hair. He spoke quietly to Mark, leaning in close without invading Mark's space. So sorry for your loss, I heard him say. We'll want to pay their respects. He managed to seem both rehearsed and completely sincere. That's quite an undertaking, I imagined saying to Josie. I could almost feel her elbow sharp against my ribs. After a few minutes, he slipped away and disappeared into a side room. Mark looked around for him, then turned to me and shrugged. I think the funeral director is a ghost, he said, and then he cringed. This is my wife's funeral, he said, scolding himself, reminding himself. His dark gray suit was wrinkled and hung loosely off his body, as if he were a boy pretending to be grown. What would she make of this? He cracked his knuckles. I feel like I could just ask her. I keep hearing her voice. Like, Mark, this is a shit avalanche. Let's get out of here and go to a movie. Despair sparked in his eyes. Literally is. I'm hearing her. My throat tightened. It's okay, I said. Me too. I've been talking to her too. I swallowed hard. And I hear her too. I added, although I didn't. People began to wander through the front doors. Friends, fellow teachers, some of Josie's students and their parents. You could practically smell their collective apprehension, like a perfume. Oh, to dread. I hovered near Mark, suddenly unsure of my place in the hierarchy of mourning. Josie was my best friend, Hannah's honorary aunt, She was the one who would come over with a bag of chocolate-covered almonds when she thought my voice sounded funny on the phone. She was the one who waited for me in the hospital after Helene had her stroke, and for months she kept me company during the rehab appointments. She had sleepovers with Hannah, cookie-decorating parties, and movie nights, so that Chris and I could be alone. Our SOS weekends, Chris called them, when we were first acknowledging how dire things were. Sink or swim. And sometimes, I thought, but just to myself, same old sex. I told Josie everything, until I didn't. Then she told me everything, except she didn't. People were arriving now in a steady flow. Josie had few relatives, and they were far flung. A cousin who lived in London, an uncle in Hawaii she barely knew, the casualties of a family rift a decade before she was born. Her parents had died years ago, a fact which had caused her great pain every day of her life, 
and which right now would have given her solace if she'd been here. That her parents would not have had to suffer the anguish of attending their only daughter's funeral. And that idea muddied my thinking, because if Josie were here, she wouldn't have been granted that relief. That's what my brain felt like on the day of my best friend's funeral, and for many weeks after. A confounding map of twisted, barely navigable roads that were long and tangled and led nowhere, or doubled back without warning and ended up where they had begun. Mark grew busy and distracted, accepting hugs and handshakes and responding to murmurs of sympathy. I had my first inkling about the comforts of this ritual. The more you were asked to attend to, the less you had to feel. I wandered away and peered out the front window. The sky was such a fine porcelain blue, it looked like it might crack. I had been